Okay, I'm doing that for Dan. Dan, like I said, he's doing a he's doing part of a revival at a nursing home, and he's speaking somewhere else. And um, also, uh, Kevin today is with his uh, niece; she's getting baptized, so that's exciting. And I, I'm just I'm just so thankful that we are so layered musically because churches our size really struggled to have someone to lead music, to have live music and different things like that. So we were, never take that for granted how blessed we are. And I appreciate even the series we're doing, how they take the time that the songs go with what we're talking about. Now, where the offering plates are at the entrance and at the back, I need to put some more, but there's this little pamphlet called the Baptist Faith and Message. And that's a summary of what we're talking about through the week. And through the next few weeks. And so today we're going to be talking about uh, Jesus. And I call this, uh, obviously we know he's the son of God, but the name of this sermon is the son. And the reason we don't have a focal verse, I'm getting a big echo here, but if, maybe, if I'm just being bothered. Okay, we good? Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, the reason you don't have a focal verse in this series is I'm going to be sharing a lot of different verses. And I try to be careful with Julie on giving her a ton of verses, but these are verses that talk about what we believe about Jesus being the Son of God. This is important, guys, why we're going through this. And again, on Wednesday nights, we're going to go in more detail. We just finished talking about the Word of God, and now we're going to talk about God, and then God the Father, and then we'll go on to talking about God as Jesus Christ. Because you're being challenged on what you believe, and so I want you to know what we believe as a church and what we believe as individuals. And so this is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and and uh, the March for the Right for Life was a little bit different this year because of the overturn of Roe versus Wade, but a lot of us could gloat maybe in this, but there's no gloating in the fact of that being overturned. It's the fact of there's work to be done. There's ladies that their lives have been wrecked and emotionally from choices they've made that we need to come alongside. And then we get into the whole foster system of the fact of if churches were involved, all churches in America, in supporting foster adoptions, that there would be no children that do not have a home. And so while this has been overturned, we need to support life in what we say. We need to support life in what we give. And, and so we even see the sanctity of Christ's life. Uh, that when he came as a man, that his life was threatened as a child, that his life was threatened as an adult. And, and we'll get into this section quite a few months from now and what we believe about life. But spoiler alert, we believe that God is for life and God is for life at any stages. And the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And blessed be the name of the Lord. None of us have the right to make those decisions for ourselves and for others. And so God is for life. And so I encourage you to support people in that and remember that. But when we talk about the value of life, why is Christ's life so important? And why is the fact that he came as a baby and lived on this earth, why was his life so important? And so many times, see, you have people that don't believe in God, but they think Jesus was a good teacher and did good things and could help them in life. But I think we need to value the life of Christ above all others because in his life, it gives us new life and, and love. And so we struggle to understand why it's important. We struggle to value Christ and to believe that he is God. And the question I have for you today, do you fully believe Christ is God? 
Do you fully believe Christ is God? And you may say yes to that, but what we're going to look, and your points are going to be spell the word Christ today, and but we need to understand, we need to believe the whole thing about Christ, because this is a this is where we get in the problem of cults. A lot of cults use Christian words and twist things in there and, and use Christ, but they don't place Christ as fully God, fully man, the whole package. And so we can choose to believe Christ isn't the Son of God, or Christ is not fully God, or we can choose to believe Christ is God. Your action step today is this, believe Christ, the eternal Son of God. Believe Christ, the eternal Son of God. John 17, 5 says this, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. That's Jesus talking to the Father, uh, affirming that he is God, and he has always existed. And you can all you have to do is go to the first part of John, which we will hear in a minute, and see this. So now we're going to go to the big statement. I'm only going to read it once. It's in your little pamphlet there. What I figured out about the Baptist faith and message is this. We need to summarize it a little bit better for the everyday person like myself. And so, yes, that is small for me to read back here. So I'm going to read this one. So if you were to get that pamphlet, this is what we believe. Christ is the eternal Son of God. In his incarnation as Jesus Christ, he is conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus perfectly revealed and did the will of God, taking upon himself human nature with its demands and necessities and identifying himself completely with mankind, yet without sin. He honored the divine law by his personal obedience, and in his substitutionary death on the cross, he made provision for the redemption of men from the sin. Now that is your legal statement. I just say legal, but that is like the official, but we can go off that slide now and we can understand, we're going to break this down a lot better. So first of all, he is a creator God. John 1 verses 1 through 3 says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he was with God in the beginning. All things are created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Jesus Christ. This is talking about Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is fully God. We're going to get into in a few weeks the Trinity and the fact that we do not worship three gods, but three in one. And I know for some people that's hard to understand and get your mind around. And for the Muslims that know who Jesus is, when they hear about the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit, they think that we're worshiping three gods. And But what we, the biggest problem we have here is a lot of cults and a lot of people think Jesus is God or a form of God, but not fully God. And the scripture here makes it clear. He is one God. John 10, 30 says this. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. And so that kind of rectifies it. He is the beginning and the end. Revelations 22:13 says this, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And even though I had to take Greek twice, uh, most of you know the Alpha and Omega, that's the Greek words for the beginning and the end of the Greek alphabet. And Jesus is saying, I am it. I am, as he said in the Old Testament, I am. Completion. And so... Your first villain, to believe Christ is the eternal Son of God, we need to believe He is completely God, fully God. We need to wake up here. 
I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but there are cults that are winning because they're trying to act like they're Christianity. They talk about Christ, not trying to be mean, but the Mormons and Jehovah's Witness are a cult. And they're doing a better job in the sense of family and, and morals than most Christians. But all, you don't even have to read that far to figure out they're a cult. But yet what I'm finding in both of those institutions, if you think I'm trying to pick on them, I'm not. I am talking about the shepherd. If a ton of Southern Baptists now are going to Mormonism in certain areas, that should tell us that the word of God is not being preached and they do not know who Christ is. Jehovah's Witness is even scarier. It's nothing about the King James. I don't care if you use the King James or not. They use the King James Bible, but they change two key verses on who Christ is. So you need to figure this out. You need to take the step of faith. Christ is fully God. Not a sub-thing or not a created being. But yet, so many times, Christians let this slide. This is very dangerous. He's got to be completely God. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. This is incarnation. God's Son coming to live on earth in human form. Philippians 2.7 says this, Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when, and when he had come as a man. This is a perfect explanation of what Christ did. He chose willingly to come to this earth, to live in the flesh, to be tempted, we'll get in this in a minute, to be tempted in all ways, yet he did not sin. We need to understand this, that he is from God, that Mary was an instrument that he was placed in, and that he was fully man. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, which is important, because if a, a human man had been involved, then he's not God, and then he doesn't come from God. And so this is why the virgin birth is important. He was placed, human flesh. He had fears, he, he, he felt, he had all these things. He had a human father that adopted him, and so he understood that. He understood the, the stain of sin, and he lived a sinless life, he, but he understood that strain and that temptation. He wept, he slept, he was tired, he was hungry, he was thirsty. He, he prayed to God not to confess things, but in relationship, and he was tempted in all ways, and yet he did not sin. He, perf he perfectly uh, revealed and did the word of God. Totally man, obedient to God, without sin. Now, we got to really understand this. I've talked about this before. A little kid, nobody teaches them when to do wrong things. Just people teach them to do it better. Okay? That's the way it is. Okay? But we are born with a sin nature. And what that means, we are born into sin. But Jesus was not, and Adam was not. In other words, it's not too far for us to want to do the wrong things. At a young age, we're born into sin. But we don't understand what it's like not to have the pressure of the sin nature upon us. But Jesus, as, as Paul talks about in Romans, was the second Adam. And so he didn't have the pressure of the sin nature and the, and the curse of sin upon him. He had the freedom to say yes or no to the Father. And we see in Matthew 4... He is tempted by Satan for 40 days, and you know how it works. You know, he, he hasn't ate, and, 
and, and Satan's tempting him. You don't always think that. Well, you get hangry, you know, sometimes uh, uh, when, you, when you need to eat and all these things and your mind's not firing on, on all cylinders. And yet he says at the end of Matthew 4, 4, Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He perfectly did the will of God. He was tempted. Your next feeling, to believe Christ is the eternal Son of God is to believe He's human, holy. He understands what you're going through. He understands the different things that are going on in your life. Perfectly God, perfectly man. How does this happen? Luke one thirty seven says this, For with God, nothing is impossible. So why did he have to live a perfect life? Why did he have to be sinless? God provided the sacrifice in Christ, meeting the requirements. Hebrews 9.22 says this, According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And it goes on of sins. We see this, that in Genesis, man sins, and then God begins to send the Redeemer, Jesus, and then he, he starts with Abraham, and then he starts with his family, and then from there we get the children of Israel, and we get Moses, and they're in captivity, and then we have the Passover, where the, a lamb is killed, and the blood is applied over the doorpost in the, in the shape of a cross, and, and what we see here, then, then Moses is told to continue the Passover until the time of Christ. And then when Christ is crucified, he is crucified at the time that the Passover lamb is offered and the temple bell was rent in two, showing that there needs to be no more sacrifices because Jesus has fulfilled that. God spent for centuries teaching them a lesson that somebody's got to pay for your sin. I know in our society, I don't even care if it's Republican or Democrat, for some reason, we just spend money and we don't realize somebody's going to pay for it. Well, I want you to understand, what, regardless of what society does legally or with money, God's system, God is a judge. He is going to deal in righteousness and we will pay for the choices we make. But the awesome and the payment is our life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that you should sure believe shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He gave his son. Somebody has to pay for our sin. And so it was his righteousness. It was his redeeming love. There had to be a perfect sacrifice. For centuries, they had to have that lamb that was without spot that the sin symbolically was put on. But this is Jesus. God was teaching a lesson that one day he would send his son who would be tempted in all ways, yet choose not to sin and would willingly take our sin upon him. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's atonement. That's God overcoming sin through Christ's obedience. I love that statement. Atonement means God overcoming our sin through Christ's obedience. You can be obedient to God all you want and it won't save you. We are obedient to God because it's a relationship, because we are saved. And then he is our, this, I always have a problem with this word, our propitiation. Christ, this is Christ's work on the cross, the work of Christ on the cross in which he met the demands of a righteous God. He satisfied our sin 
which is the requirements of God. Oh, I thank God for it. Romans 3.25 says this, God presented himself as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. Talking about the Passover, when he said, I see the blood, I will pass over you. What God sees when you receive Christ is Christ's sacrifice, Christ's payment, Christ's blood. And that mercy seat, the Romans... Uh, you know, had a legal system. And so the judge would sit on the seat and he would say either you would have mercy and, or you would not. And so he's using, Paul's using this here to say with Christ and his sacrifice, God will pass over us. And that is if we choose it. And it's all the blood. He is, he is our substitute. Christ died in our place, paying the price for our sin. He provided redemption for us from sin. He is raised from the dead to his disciples. Your next fill-in. Believing Christ is the eternal Son of God means believing that he is Redeemer, reconciling us to God. Isn't that awesome to know that he is redeeming us? And some of us are old enough that we remember pop bottles and we remember when we want some more pop that we would take the glass bottle to the store and we would redeem it for some money so maybe we could buy some more pop and eventually go to a dentist okay i don't understand uh, you know what i'm saying but this is what we're talking about he buys us back he ransoms us back some of you i mean i'm not into pawn shops but you've had stuff some people have had a pawn or you've lost something and and maybe and you sold it and you finally got to buy it back. That's the value. We're going to be talking about man here in a couple weeks and the fact that we are God's creation, that we were made with a soul, and that God had so much value in us that he gave his son to redeem us back. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, He made the one who did not know sin to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When God, Christian, looks at you, he doesn't see your righteousness because, as the prophet said, our righteousness is as filthy uh, rags. It's not even off-white. It is, it, you can automatically see the dirtiness, but what he sees is the righteousness of Christ. Uh, Ephesians 1, seven says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That's why some of these old hymns, when we talk about the blood, if people don't understand this and don't know Christ, it sounds like we're just pretty morbid kind of people. But we know the power of the blood, that the blood cleanses us from all sin. He, he was raised to victory from death. In death we have no hope, but to life to hope. Christ fulfilled all the right requirements of the law. His perfect obedience, even unto death, Christ perfectly identified with us, and yet he did not sin. It's so awesome. The risen, the risen Christ is the evidence that we have here to Christianity. See, all these people that have started these religions, you can go to the place where they're buried, and you can know when they died. And we could guess when Christ died, but guess this. He's not in the tomb. It's empty. They've never found his body. And this is the cornerstone and the evidence that we have hope. Be I thought the laser beam was coming at me right there. It was warming up like it was going to. That's the shocker that we need to, or the sermon needs to be done. It's like, okay, anyway. Uh, come on, wake up here, all right, people? You're not that asleep, okay? 
So, okay. So we need to, we see this, that the, the resurrection, the empty tomb is our evidence. Where's Christ? He said he would be risen. And so he's completed. It's finished. It is, it is grounds for the promise. And we show this when somebody is baptized. It is a symbol. When they go under, they're buried in Christ. And they're raised to newness of life. And so we celebrate this today on the Lord's Day. That the reason we're here, the reason we meet on Sunday and not Saturday like the Jews, is because Christ rose on Sunday. This is the core. This is an important part of our belief that Christ is risen. And it's our hope. He ascended in the heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. Christ doesn't just save us, but guides us, helps us through life and our relationship with God. See, so many times we talk about Christ as Savior. We're going to get into talking to him about Lord and what we believe about that too. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we were, yet without sin. Christ understands Christ is our mediator. We understand the word mediator is like when people are having a legal dispute that instead of going and having lawyers or going to a court case, they meet with the mediator and he sets down with them. Well, Christ's sacrifice in his blood, he is a mediator between us and God. And Hebrews 4.16, because we can go, because God sees Christ, because he sees his righteousness and his blood for those that have accepted us, Hebrews 4.16 says this, Therefore let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't that awesome? Because Christ goes before us, and to God, we can go boldly to God for grace. We can have a relationship with God because of Christ. When we go to God, he doesn't see our sin, but he sees Christ's righteousness. Your next fill-in. Believing Christ is the eternal Son of God means believing that he is our intermediary between us and God. That's a $5 word. But that means that he goes in between us, that he goes before us, and that we can go. This is why Jesus is important. This is why when we understand salvation, there is no salvation except through Jesus Christ. Underline the word through. We can go to God through Christ because what Christ has done. Romans 8.34 says this, Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, he was raised. He, he also, at the right hand of God, and intercedes for us. And you could go on to 35 talking about we are more than conquerors because of this. And so this is why Jesus is important. This is what he's about. He saves us. And he not only saves us, he is our way for relationship with God. And that's awesome. But the story doesn't end there. He's going to return in power and glory to judge the world and to complete his redemptive mission. 380 times in the Bible, he talks about his return. Jesus coming back. And so many times at, at funerals and at the graveside, and it shouldn't just be there, I, I look at 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 18, because here's, what's hap- here's what was happening in Thessalonians. These were first century Christians, and they were starting to die, and they thought Christ was going to return in their time. And so Christians started dying, and they're like, hey, what happened to them? And so then Paul writes about, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to not know about this. But he talks about those that are asleep, those that have died, those that have gone on. 
But here's the talking about Christ's return, our hope in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, be, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. How blessing and exciting that should be that he is going to return. So your next feeling, believing Christ is the eternal Son of God, means believing he is someday returning. I think we forget that one sometimes because we get into our life, we get into whatever's going on, and we get into the drudgery of, or, or the distraction of life, and, and we don't see that he can return at any time that we need to be excited about this, that we're not going to have to struggle with sin, that we're not going to have to struggle with bodies that are decaying, that, we, that he is someday returning to make things right. But what about now? These are great things. He's completely God, holy human, redeemer. He's the intermediary for us, and he's someday returning. But what about now? Christ now dwells in believers as our living Lord. Savior and Lord. We talk about this when somebody gets saved, and we don't focus on the Lord part as much, but we confess Him as Savior, and we call on Him to be the Lord of our life. And this is what where most of you Christians are right now, that is He the Lord of your life? Is He the shepherd of your life? Is He leading your life? Uh, we were slaves to sin, and when we choose Christ, we become a bondservant. And if you understand about the bondservant, what that was about, they were slaves that they had to work for somebody for a certain amount of time because of a debt. And when that debt was paid off, they were free to leave. But if they had a relationship with the master and they, and they loved them, they could choose to be a bondservant and be a part of that family for the rest of their life. Well, Jesus used the example that he is the great shepherd. And we've talked about this. We are sheep. And no offense, talking about myself too, sheep are helpless by themselves and sheep will die. And so we need to understand we're saved and we're free from being a slave to sin. You need to choose a master. You need to choose a shepherd. And that is making Jesus Christ Lord of your life. And guess what? That is an everyday event. That is an everyday choice that we need to abide in the vine. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine. Jesus is talking about himself. And you are the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And we need to be a part of the vine. He is living. He is alive. We receive the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we need to follow Christ as Lord. Your next villain, believing Christ is the eternal Son of God means believing. Today, he's living in believers. That is really serious. Because the places you go and the things you say, believer, Jesus is there with you. And he is either going to be in the backseat of your life or he's going to be driving the car of your life. And you need to make that choice every day, every minute that today he is living in you. And you need to listen to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is either in the control center of your life or he's in the basement. And there's some days... I have to say maybe he's in the basement, but we need to get him into the control center of our lives and follow God. How are they going to know that Christ lives if they don't see him living in your life and that you believe that he lives, that Christ is, 
not Christ was, that he is living. And, he, and you believe that he's living so much that you follow him and you obey him and he runs your life. What would that do to a dying world? So i got a question for you before we have a time invitation here in a moment. Today in this season, do you believe Christ is fully the eternal Son of God? I want you to be really careful about that because some of you may, it's not that you're accepting cults, but when you talk to people about Jesus, most people like Jesus, but they don't believe that he is the eternal Son of God. They believe he's a good man. They believe either he was created by God, but you just found out what we believe as a body of Christ, that he is the eternal Son of God. He's completely God. He is human holy. He is a redeemer. That's why he came. And after we're saved, he is intermediator to us, and he's someday returning. And the bottom line that I need to ask you today, is the living Christ evidenced in your life? Because guess what? This is a dying world that without Christ is going to hell. And if you've been in a place that's dying and you see a little shoot of something living, it's attractive. And so if you don't have Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you can believe all these things about Christ, but you need to start with, I believe that he's God and that he can save me. Come during this time of invitation. But some of you may need to come to the altar to pray or recommit that I've made Jesus less than what he is. And guys, the dying world needs to see Jesus plus nothing. And so whatever you need to do, however you need to respond, do that today. As we stand to our feet and have a time of invitation.